0: Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, God, praying today for uh, an encounter with you. Uh, We want to meet with you today because that's what changes us. Not the singing of some songs, not the hearing of some words, but an encounter. Uh, So, God, I pray today that what would be spoken, the words that we sing, I pray that they would be true and I pray that they would be felt and I pray that they would be heard and that people would be. Uh, that people would be moved, meet people right where they are. Uh, God, I pray right now that you would give us uh, eyes to see what you want to show us and ears to hear what you want to say. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. The title of the sermon today is uh, The Dream, The Misinterpretation, and The Painting the dream, the misinterpretation, and the painting. So uh, let's say we talk about the dream. Here it goes. Last Saturday night into Sunday morning, uh, I had a dream that felt to me like it was spiritual. And uh, this happens to me maybe once a year. And I don't know how to describe it. I just know that even when I'm in the midst of it, I know something's kind of going on. And when I wake up, I've just got this real strong sense that uh, the Lord had something that he wanted me to say in it. And, and, and that's what happened last week. And this is the dream that I had. So uh, I was horseback riding with a friend and uh, we were riding up uh, a mountain, it's a really steep mountain. And we were on these like really narrow trails and we rode all the way up to the top of the mountain, and then we get up there, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's like 360-degree views all around, and um, it's not that, the mountain mountaintop itself's not that large in diameter, like I can see the edge to my left, and I can see uh, the edge to my right, and it looks like... That it's just if you walked to the edge and stepped off, you would fall. Like it's just cliffs. It looks like on every, just the whole way around, it's straight down. And so, because I'm a little bit frightened uh, riding this horse, I take the horse to the center of the, of the mountaintop and uh, the mountain, and I go to uh, dismount. And as soon as I hop off of the horse, This thing takes off like it's on a kamikaze suicide mission, and it just starts running for the cliff's edge. And so I see it going, and I immediately chase after it, and I'm shouting at this thing. I'm going, whoa, whoa, horse, whoa, and every time I'm saying something, it's slowing a little bit and like turning its head back towards me, and I run after it, and right as the horse gets to the edge, I grab it by its reins, and I pull it back towards me. And something shook it. It was scared. You know, it was shaking like horses sometimes do. And so uh, I I took my hand and I just rubbed the horse's face and I made sure that it felt safe. And then I I walked it over and I tethered it to a tree. Like I tied it with a rope to a tree, um, making sure that it had enough rope to walk the entire length of uh, the mountain. But I didn't give it enough to walk off the cliff's edge. And when I woke up on Sunday morning, I felt like the Spirit was whispering to me, going, Brock, this is the kind of pastor I need you to be in this season. It was, there's a lot of people when it comes to their faith, it's like they're walking over the edge, or they're teetering right there on the edge. And he's whispering to me, going, I want you to be the kind of person who makes sure that your people are tethered to the truth. I want you to make sure that they're tethered to the gospel. I want to make you to make sure that they're tethered to Jesus, and that they know that if I have the reins, I won't let them go. They can wander the whole cliff's edge, but they're not going to fall off. That was the dream. Now for the misinterpretation. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And this is what the verse says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm going to read that to you one more time. It's pretty short. Matthew 13, 44, this is from the ESV. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'd like to begin my discussion with you today on this text with a confession, okay? And and this is my confession. Uh, I have been a pastor now for almost 20 years, and uh, I've been preaching in some capacity for probably the last 17, and uh, I've never preached this verse. Like 17 years of doing this, walking up in front, and I know it's a really well-known verse, uh, but I've never preached it. And uh, the reason that I've never preached it is because I've never understood it. Like I hadn't got it. I, I, I really, uh, I think uh, today as I talk to you about it, like I'm going to take a stab at an interpretation of it. But even now, like I'm not sure that I've got it exactly, exactly right. But that's one of the most awesome things about the, the Bible. I mean, all of these stories are multi-layered. There's so much depth of meaning. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I have heard uh, a lot of pastors preach this verse and just in the last week or so, I bet I've read 50 different commentaries and, um, 90% of what I have heard and what I have read, uh, hasn't set well with me. And here's why. Uh, the usual interpretation of this, passage goes something like this. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. And once we find him, we should sell everything that we have to purchase the field. We should give up everything to take a hold of him because he's worth it. How many of y'all have heard the verse preached like that? I mean, I would say if you grew up in church, like the majority of people, that's the, that is the interpretation But something about that interpretation grinds my gears because I don't think it lines up with the rest of Scripture. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't find Jesus, he found me. I didn't take hold of him, he took hold of me. I didn't have to give up anything to get Jesus, but he gave up everything to get me. And so something in my head is going, this verse can't be me, can't be about me having to sell stuff to buy Jesus. I mean, for one, I don't think Jesus is for sale. And if he was, I know I couldn't afford him. And two, I'm pretty sure he's not hiding. And if he was, I know I wouldn't be able to find him. And three, I don't think anybody can own Jesus. And so with that said, I think it's time that we dismiss this interpretation as false. I think it is a misreading of the the text. I think it is a misinterpretation. And to be honest with you, if you walk out today, like if you leave today and that's all you get, I think you will have got your money's worth. Like if you walk out and you're going, look, I'm still, he talked for a long time about what he thought he meant, and I'm still not sure that I understand what that verse means, but I know it doesn't mean what I used to think it meant. You do that, I'll consider that a win. Now, let me be really clear. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't a treasure worth pursuing. I'm not saying that he isn't worth giving uh, up a life for I obviously believe he is if I didn't I wouldn't be in ministry I wouldn't try to get my whole life into his service. All i'm saying is I don't think this verse is talking about that. Do you hear me? I think this is a misinterpretation Now i've come to a new understanding Of this passage of this verse and i'm going to try to tell you how I got to it But before I do that, let me say at the outset, uh, it makes me really uncomfortable. Like my new interpretation, I don't necessarily like it, but just because I don't like something or just because it makes me uncomfortable doesn't mean it's false. Like I think a lot of people, when they turn to the Bible, they just look at its words and they try to make it say what they want it to say instead of just being changed by what it actually says. Do you understand what I'm saying? I now think this verse not all that many words, speaks to the fall and the redemption of humanity, as well as to the birth of the early church. I now think that the man in the story is Jesus, and that the field is the world, and we're the treasure. I think the man in the story is Jesus, the field is the world, and we are The treasure let me explain first let's talk about why i think jesus is the man and the field is the world so in matthew 13 in the verses just before this so i'm literally talking now about verses 36 through 43 and we are camped out in verse 44 jesus has just been speaking and preaching to these really large crowds of people He's had a bunch of people together, and he has given them some of his best stuff, okay? Like, in that time, with all those people gathered, he told them the parable of the sower. He told them the parable of the weeds. He told them about the mustard seed and about the leaven. I mean, just these great teachings. But where we are in 13, 36 through 43, it's now just Jesus and his disciples. So the crowd's left, they've went home, and now he's just with the 12. And I love it because we get, you know, the, Matthew gives us a lens into what was going on in that conversation. But they get together and one of the disciples turns to Jesus and they go, hey, most of what you were talking about out there, we understood. But they said, we didn't understand the parable of the weeds. They go, we well, explain that one to us, we explain to it. And so that's what Jesus does. 36 through 43, he's explaining to them the parable of the weeds. And when he explains it, this is what he says. He says, the man in the story of the parable of the weeds is the son of man, which is just another name for the Messiah or another name for Jesus. And then he says, uh, the field is the world and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. These are just like three verses before we get into the verse that we're talking about. Like Jesus pretty clearly says, hey, the man in the story, son of man, the field is the world. Then in the verse that we just read in 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, just like in the parable of the weeds in the same dialogue. Like it's the same phrasing, the same conversation. Jesus again mentions here a man and a field. Now, maybe it's just me, but wouldn't it follow that if Jesus had just told a story where he's been like, hey, the man's the son of man, and the field is the world, and then he goes into another story about a man and a field, that those representations would probably hold up? I think it's possible, and I know, I know it's not perfect, but I certainly think it is plausible that in those preceding verses— Jesus was trying to provide us with a key to better understand the kingdom of heaven Verses, like he was trying to give us a heads up and the disciples a heads up. He's going, yeah, the, the son of man, the man, the field is the world. Now, one of the reasons I think this text gets misinterpreted so often is because I think people take it out of its proper context. I mean, it's so arrogant. Like, you've got Jesus going in the verse just before this. He's like, the man's the son of man. The field is the world. And then we read it, Travis, and we're like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's how, you know, I think you're close, Jesus. But I actually think you're the treasure and I'm the man searching for you. How ridiculous is that? So I've come to believe in this new interpretation. Jesus is the man doing the searching and the field is the world. And the reason I believe that is because I think Jesus told us so. I think he was trying to give us a key. I think he was trying to give us a clue. Now, here's why I think you and I are the treasure. The first line in Matthew 13, says this. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. To me, when I first read that line, I found myself thinking back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three, and the story of Adam and Eve. Now, most of you all know the story of Adam and Eve. God places them in the garden of Eden. They're given perfection, a place where his abode is is present. He is with them, and he tells them, you just can't eat of the fruit of one of the trees in the garden. And then a serpent comes and tempts adam and eve to eat of the fruit and they do they eat uh, of the fruit and immediately after taking a bite of the fruit they become aware of their nakedness and they go and they try to make clothes out of fig leaves and they cover themselves now this is the part of the story maybe you don't remember but i think it's really interesting not long after they make the fig leaves to cover themselves god shows up and he's walking in the garden And he can't find them. They're hiding. And so he calls out to them. He says, you can look this up. This is Genesis chapter 3. He says, where are you? And they say, we're hiding because we are afraid. And then they come out and Jesus confronts them about eating the fruit. And then he punishes them for their disobedience. Kicks them out of the garden. But before he does that. He provides them with a new set of clothes. Most likely the first sacrifice that gets mentioned in the Bible is they take off the fig leaves that they've made and he provides them with animal skins to cover themselves with. Now, I hope I'm not the only one who sees this, but Adam and Eve, because of their sin, were hiding from God. God went looking for them. He found them, and he covered them. Now, that should sound pretty familiar to us, talking here about a man searching a treasure hidden, then found, then covered. And here's the really neat thing, is that that's not just Adam and Eve's story, but it's our story as well. It is the gospel, We were lost in sin, separated from God. Jesus came from heaven to earth to find us, and then by way of his sacrifice, he covered us. Church, hear me out. You are the treasure. You're the treasure. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's he's the hero of every story, but you are the treasure. You're the one he was looking for. You are who he came after. He left heaven for you. He left the throne for you. He gave up everything to purchase your life. I don't understand it. I've already told you, it makes me uncomfortable to say it, but he deemed you worthy, worth coming for, worth living for, and worth dying for. You are the treasure. And I know there's somebody in the room or somebody who's watching online and you need to hear that today because right now, when you look at your life, you're feeling pretty worthless. Right now, it it feels like nothing is breaking your way. It feels like the whole world has turned its back on you. But let me tell you this morning, in the kingdom of God, your life has immense value. In the eyes of Jesus, you are a treasure worth pursuing you're worth more than you could ever imagine you are a treasure and if we're the treasure then when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven and he does it in this parable and he does it in the next two subsequent parables all he's talking about is a collection of the rescued ones he's talking about a collection of the redeemed a collection of people whom he has found, a saved people who walk this earth knowing that our citizenship isn't here, but it's in heaven. Now, while I think you're the treasure, I also think we're meant to become treasure hunters. It's kind of like that story of or, kind of like that game we play. I don't even know that it has a name, but it's like a variation of hide and seek where I'm it and all of y'all go and hide. And then when I find one of you, then you join me and we go and try to find everybody else. That's what I think it's supposed to look like. That's what I think it looks like when the treasure becomes the treasure hunters. Because it's like once you're found and you're with Jesus, you begin going out into the world trying to find some more people, trying to bring more people in. That's evangelism. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how the the kingdom advances. It's when we make the transition. But to become treasure hunters, you got to know you are the treasure. In the kingdom of God, your life holds immense value. Now, just so you don't think I'm a heretic, and uh, maybe I am. I don't think so. Um, just so you don't think I am a heretic, I'm not the only person who interprets the text in this way. This is from A commentator named John Corson, this is what he says. He says, in this parable, a man finds some treasure and immediately buys the field in order to gain the treasure therein. You may have heard this parable taught like this. The treasure in the field is Jesus. We are the man. Like the man who found the treasure, when you discover Jesus, you should forsake everything to follow him. But I believe this is an improper interpretation. I believe Jesus is the man and we're the treasure. Think about it. When you were saved, how many of you sold everything to follow Jesus? None of us did that. We were simply born again. How? Not by our will, not by our efforts, not even by our desire, but by God. God saved us. God elected us. God predestined us. We didn't sell anything to receive him. He, on the other hand, gave his life to purchase us. Why was the field the world purchased? Did the Lord want another planet? No, he wanted the treasure that was buried in the world. He wanted you. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Because the second part, if if the way that I am interpreting this verse is accurate, and I believe that it is, or I wouldn't have shared it with you, if it is accurate, then it makes the second portion of this verse especially powerful. And this is how the, the, the verse reads. It's the second part, Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says that in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It says in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. If Jesus is the man, and the world is the field, and we are the treasure, then Jesus is speaking in this portion of the scripture about his own sacrifice, about what he's about to do. And if that's true, then what he is saying here is he's telling us that it was in his joy that he gave up everything for us. That it was in his joy that he took the nails. That it was in his joy to offer his life as a sacrifice. Like at this time, the disciples have no idea what he's talking about because this portion of the passage hadn't happened yet. And so to them, it's kind of obscure, like they don't get it. But what he's trying to tell them is, hey, when you see me hanging on that tree and I know you're going to be worried about me mentally, physically, and spiritually, he goes, don't worry about it because I'm doing that in my joy. It's in my, it's in my joy to give up my life for yours in my joy i don't do it because i have to do it i do it because i want to do it i also like this image following in the same vein of that adam and eve story that you know they're in the garden where they have perfect interaction with the spirit perfect interaction with god he walks in the garden with them in the cool of the day and then because of their sin He kicks them out of the garden. Their sin separates them from God. They're no longer in his presence. And then you have Jesus looking down from heaven, and he sees this separation, and he recognizes they're no longer in the garden. They've now been kicked out into the big bad world. And what's Jesus say? I'm going to go buy the whole field. I'm going to buy it all. And so now, regardless of your age, nationality, location, you can have interaction with God directly. Intimacy with God is available to all. Why? Because he bought the whole field. He didn't just buy you. He bought it all. He didn't just buy the garden. He bought the whole thing. He bought it all. To me now, I think this story is, this one verse, I think it's talking about the fall of humanity, the redemption of humanity, the rising up of humanity. The early church, that is the dream, and the misinterpretation. Now for uh, the painting. Uh, would somebody cut the lights? I think we'll be able to see this better. Um, Evan, will you cut the lights off? Anybody? Josh, that'd be great. And can I get the? Can I get it up here? All right. So. This is uh, an image that uh, for whatever reason the last couple of weeks has been wrecking me. And um, the image is called She Will Find What Is Lost. She Will Find What Is Lost. And it's by a painter named Brian Krishnick. And um, before I talk about What I think it means, I just want you to sit in it for a minute. I want you to look at it and and see what you think is, uh, is happening here. What I see here, obviously, is uh, the image of of a woman, and um, she seems heavy. Uh, She seems beaten down. She seems tired, like she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders. And then I see uh, a legion of angels uh, grasping for her, um, reaching out for her taken hold of her. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to show you this image today is because um, I think think this might be what it looks like uh, to be treasured. I think this might be what it looks like to be treasured by Jesus. That to be the treasure, that even when we think That all is lost, even when we feel like we've given up, even when we feel heavy and the weight of the world is on our shoulders, he hasn't forgotten about us. He has sent a legion of angels to come to our care, to come to our comfort, to reach out to us to support us and so that's the first one because I know some of you Stacey Lewis always tells me she's I'm a visual learner and so I've already tried to tell you uh in the sermon and I think you are the treasure but visually I think this may be a picture of what it looks like to be treasured by Jesus you're not forgotten about he is reaching out for you he sent a whole team of angels to your side you are treasured by Jesus The second reason I wanted to show this image is because I think it also gives us a picture of what it means to be tethered to heaven. You are treasured by Jesus, but you are tethered to heaven like he's got you. And even if it feels like you're about to walk off the cliff or to walk over the edge, even if it feels like you're about to let it all go, he, like me grabbing that horse like he's got the reins on you. And when he needs to, he's going to jerk back and he's going to rub your face and he's going to make sure that you feel safe. And he's going to remind you, no, you're tethered. I've got you. I-, I treasure you. And I have tethered you to myself. I've noticed and through a lot of conversations in the last year or so with a lot of people, especially during um, the pandemic, I feel like, and this may, I don't, I don't mean if this sounds like misogynistic or whatever, I don't mean it too. But one of the things that I've noticed coming out of the pandemic is I feel like it has hit women even harder than it hit men. Like, it's been my experience, that at least in the conversation I'm having, and maybe it's just because guys are pretending to be tough, but my experience has been that uh, a lot of women who I'm talking to these days, like, this is what they feel like. Like, it's just this head, head down. And so I love this idea. The title of the painting is, She Will Find What Is Lost. Listen to me. If that's you, and you're in this place and you're struggling, you'll find it. You're going to find what's lost. You're going to find what is lost. Because he's coming after you. You don't have to look very far. You're going to find it. You are treasured by Jesus and tethered to heaven. Pray with me and we're done. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I am grateful for your word. I'm pray, praying that it spoke today. I'm praying That the person in the room who needed to be reminded that they are treasured by you. I'm praying they heard it. And if they didn't hear it when I said it then, I pray they hear it now. You are the treasure. You matter to the king. God, we love you. Continue to move in our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.